0: The menopause is a natural event for most women. It means the end of the monthly cycle of periods. It means the end of the monthly cycle of pain in the abdomen, painful breasts. It also means the end of needing to take birth control measures. But for many women, the process of this transition is difficult. While we mostly use the term women in this podcast, we acknowledge that not everyone going through the menopause identifies as female. I'm Dr Hilary Geit for Medical News Today and this month we're talking about the menopause.
1: We don't know what's going on, we don't understand the symptoms, no one talks to us about them. I
2: feel very embarrassed that I have probably missed thousands of women who've come to see me as a GP and I've never thought about their hormones because I didn't really know.
1: Everyone deserves to have a lovely, happy, useful vagina that they can carry on having sex with and enjoying.
0: Joining me today is Dr. Yella Hewings Martin, Senior Research Editor at Medical News Today. Hi Yella! Hi Hilary. And also with us is Rachel New, a broadcaster who started the On My Last Eggs podcast. Hello, Rachel. Hello. And Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and specialist who provides information about the menopause via her website, the Menopause Doctor. Welcome Louise.
2: Thank you, hello.
0: Louise, can you start us off by explaining what the menopause is?
2: Yes of course, so the menopause, if you break down the word, meno is menstrual cycle, so our periods, and pause obviously is stop. So it's An unusual diagnosis because it's a retrospective look-back-in-time diagnosis. So officially, a woman can't say she's menopausal until she's had a year since her last period, which is quite hard to know when periods are changing. So a lot of women find that they have symptoms before the actual official menopause, and we call this the perimenopause, which peri just means around the time of. And so most of us go through the menopause as a natural process. Our hormones deplete because our eggs run out in our ovaries, And when they run out, our hormones associated with them go down. Some women have their menopause forced on them. So they have a surgical menopause where they have their ovaries removed or sometimes their ovaries are damaged by certain drugs or treatments. So it can affect all women. And the average age, not saying any women's average, but the average age in the UK is 51. But around one in 100 women under the age of 40 have an early menopause. So my youngest patient is 14, my oldest is 92, so it can affect all women from all ages.
0: What's the time scale for the perimenopause?
2: So the perimenopause can last several years, often a decade, sometimes even more. And it's often symptoms can just start sometimes just for a few days before each period. And then it can be a week or two weeks and then all the time. So it's a quite a transient process that often worsens with time. Our hormones, especially oestrogen, are very essential for the way our bodies function and work. And we have cells that respond to oestrogen everywhere on our body. So when the levels decline, the cells are affected. And so this means there's a whole myriad of symptoms. And everyone's experience of their perimenopause and menopause is very individual and different. So we all know about hot flushes and sweats but it's often other symptoms especially when levels in the brain can reduce that really affect women the most so Symptoms such as anxiety, low mood, memory problems, fatigue, just feeling very low, very joyless, irritable, poor sleep. And then people can get other symptoms such as headaches, palpitations, muscle and joint pains, urinary symptoms, reduced libido, vaginal dryness. The list can go on and on and on, actually. And symptoms can vary between women and actually sometimes vary between the days and months. So... Just
0: to be clear, do all those symptoms finish when the woman's one year away from the last period?
2: No, so some people find that their perimenopause is actually worse, and they might find that their symptoms improve when their periods stop. A lot of women find that their symptoms worsen when their periods stop because hormones are at their lowest. But once a woman becomes menopausal, then her levels will be low forever. So a lot of women find they experience symptoms. When you read research, then the average length of time for symptoms is about seven years. But I certainly have seen and spoken to many women who have symptoms for decades, symptoms change so a lot of women find that their hot flushes and sweats improve and then when you talk to them they'll say no i've gone through my menopause i don't have any symptoms but then they will say oh yes but my sleep's rubbish or i have some joint pains and i can't exercise the same way or i'm just a bit more irritable so these symptoms often do linger and it's often not until you give replacement hormones and see and hear women improve you know which symptoms are related to their hormones so
3: rachel you've been investigating the trials and tribulations and the symptoms of the menopause and the perimenopause. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, I um, trace the beginning of my perimenopause journey back to being 51. But I suspect now looking back, I was perimenopausal before that my sleep had been problematic sort of through a lot of my 40s, I was having vaginal problems, I kept thinking I had thrush, I now know very common, you know, I was getting sort of urinary tract infections. But it was only when I was 51 that those problems started to really bother me. And I kept going to the doctor. I kept being put on antibiotics for urinary tract infections. Sex was becoming painful. At the same time, my periods were getting closer together and heavier. I'd always had quite heavy periods, but now I'd wake up, I'd flood a bed. But I didn't know this was perimenopause. I'd never heard of perimenopause. And I thought the menopause was about the cessation of periods and hot flushes and being (laughs) bad-tempered. That was all that I knew about it. So all those things happened to me. I also had terribly itchy skin all over my body. I thought I was allergic to something, you know, and I just was back and forth with my GP saying things like, I just don't feel like myself, which felt really flimsy. And I still didn't know it was menopause. And despite the fact that I was 51, my GP never mentioned menopause to me. She said sometimes when women are older, they need lubrication during sex because things are drier, but she didn't ever mention menopause or perimenopause. I
2: missed my own perimenopause at the age of 45, which is the average age of the perimenopause. And I was busy developing and writing the content for Menopause Doctor. And I was also lecturing other healthcare professionals saying you must not miss the other symptoms of the menopause. Yet I had them all, but thought it was because I was working hard, trying to split my time with three children, being a GP, being a medical writer, and now developing a website and trying to get a job as a menopause specialist in the NHS. So I had a lot of reason to be tired, irritable low mood, poor sleep, back-to-back back migraines, etc. Not once did I think about my own hormones and sadly not once did anyone else say to me, Louise, you've changed actually. You've become more socially isolated. You've become more withdrawn and you're running later as a as a doctor, you're taking longer. And I was taking longer because I couldn't remember anything. I could hardly remember names of drugs and in between patients I would literally think, This is it, I'm gonna to have to give up my job because I'm just not doing it well. Um, And I wish someone had recognised it, actually, because it's very hard, as Rachel says, sometimes to recognise it within yourself. And so a lot of the work that needs to be done about awareness is not just middle aged women need to be aware. We all need to be aware, men, women, children. And so actually recognising it within our friends or family or work colleagues can be really important, actually. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Back to you, Rachel. When did you start to get more help?
1: It was only when I went and had a marina coil fitted for my really heavy periods, the gynecologist talked to me about perimenopause and it kind of changed things from there. But I mean, my experience, I think, is the same as so many women's experience. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand the symptoms. No one talks to us about them. I don't know why we don't get a letter through the post when you're 45 saying, hi, you may have one of these 34 symptoms. If you do come and talk to us. I was very unknowledgeable about it and I'm much more knowledgeable about it now. Actually, thanks to Dr. Louise Newsom was the first person I sought out and watched her YouTube videos. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what's wrong with me. I felt like I'd finally found someone that I could uh, trust the advice of.
3: I guess that's one of the reasons why you started your podcast is to share that information and talk about the fact that it's quite hard to find out information about the menopause and the perimenopause. So do you think that in our society that is a problem and it's just very hard to get that information?
1: I do think it is. But I think like a lot of problems in society, it's much more complex than just not getting the information. I think women of menopausal age are very different from women of menopausal age in the past. Often a woman may be in her perimenopause. She may only have a five-year-old child. She doesn't equate herself with a menopausal woman. She may be at the peak of her career. You know, she doesn't look like our menopausal mothers or grandmothers. I don't think women understand when menopause starts on average. I don't think they understand the depth and breadth of the symptoms. But I also don't think they think it's their time for that. So they just don't think that's what's happening. And we have busy lives. And it's really interesting, the anxiety point. Anxiety can creep up on you for all sorts of reasons and stress. And you think it's work and small children and pressures. But actually, my anxiety got really bad in my perimenopause. And I'd never been anxious before. And there was nothing really in my life to be making me anxious except my hormones.
0: I was quite taken by your story about your GP not quite mentioning the word menopause. Um, Can I bring Louise in here? What do you think might be going on there?
2: I think it's due to inadequate menopause education, not just for GPs, but for all healthcare professionals. It's not mandatory that People have menopause education and certainly I didn't have any as an undergraduate or postgraduate. It was an odd lecture from a gynaecologist talking about hot flushes. And if you don't have the knowledge, you don't know the questions to ask and you can't put all the pieces together. So... I feel very embarrassed that I have probably missed thousands of women who've come to see me as a GP telling me they have headaches or they feel low or they're tearful or they've had palpitations. And I've never thought about their hormones because I didn't really know. And it's only then suddenly you put all the pieces together and it's so obvious when you see it and a doctor who I was training recently said to me once you see the menopause you can't unsee it and I think this is what's happened with a lot of my work is that the more you ask the right questions and the more you listen to women quite rightly then the two and two join up and you realize you've made four and it's so obvious then.
3: And can I ask a question about treatments? I think you mentioned HRT when we started talking about this Um. Could you maybe bring us up to speed with the evidence of HRT?
2: Absolutely. So HRT is hormone replacement therapy. And in some countries, it's now called menopausal hormonal treatment because it's not replacing hormones, it's providing missing hormones and There are different hormones um, and when we prescribe HRT there's different doses and there's different types. The best way of having HRT is body identical hormones which means it's the same structure as the hormones that we produce ourselves and oestrogen is the building block if you like, really important hormone for all of us and The safest way of having oestrogen is through the skin, where it goes directly into the bloodstream. And then there's no risk of clot or stroke, whereas there is a very small risk with tablet oestrogen. So this is given as a gel, a patch or a spray. And then women who still have their womb need progesterone to protect the womb from the thickening effects of having estrogen. And the best way of that is having the body identical progesterone or the Marina coil, as Rachel mentioned. And then a lot of women also benefit from testosterone, which is another hormone that we all think is related just to men, but actually we produce about three times more testosterone than oestrogen. And that can be really beneficial for mood, energy, concentration, stamina. It can improve libido as well. So it's a combination of hormones.
0: Gosh, that's really interesting. What would you say that nowadays the risks and benefits of HRT are?
2: We know there are plenty of benefits from taking HRT because you're replacing the missing hormones, so it will improve symptoms. But more importantly, actually, for me as a physician, is that we know with low hormone levels, there are health risks. So women who are postmenopausal who don't take HRT have a higher risk of diseases such as heart disease, osteoporosis, type 2 diabetes... And dementia. So really important diseases that can be reduced by taking HRT and we know from long-term studies that women who take HRT have a lower risk of all these diseases and actually a lower risk of death from all causes including from cancer and including breast cancer as well. So everyone has been taught for the last 20 years that HRT is going to give women breast cancer. So we've been fed wrong information. This is us as healthcare professionals but also us as women but also in the media too. And so women have tried to avoid HRT for the last 20 years, sadly, for the wrong reason. If you look at the studies, there hasn't been a study that showed that this increased risk of breast cancer is even statistically significant. The small increased risk in the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative study, was looking at women taking synthetic progestogens. So the types of HRT that we don't actually prescribe anymore or or very seldom prescribe. But even that risk, if you look at the worst reported statistic, The increased risk of breast cancer is actually less than the increased risk of breast cancer a woman has if she drinks a couple of glasses of wine a night or if she doesn't exercise or if she's overweight, because those are risk factors for breast cancer. Only small. You don't open a bottle of wine and have a big label saying this is going to give you breast cancer. But we have to bear in mind that it's just increasing a low risk. And that's exactly the same with the older types of HRT. The newer types, the body-identical HRT, haven't been shown to have an increased risk of breast cancer. But we need to look at the bigger picture. We need to look at what do women want for a start and also what are the bigger risks for a woman. Most of us die from heart disease and dementia and taking HRT reduces the risk of that. So a lot of the work I do is about trying to empower women and healthcare professionals with the right knowledge and information and the right tools to then make the right decision pertinent for that woman. Because we're all individuals and we need to make individual choices about what we do regarding our perimenopause and menopause.
0: Just sort of thinking about why women and their doctors might be not very keen to talk about the menopause, I mean, there's some really wacky theories out there. Do you think these sort of theories that bomb around about what happens to women, what's it about? Do you think these are important for how we talk about the menopause?
1: Well, I don't know whether the theories are important. I think what's actually happening here and now is important. I just think we need to be much more open about women's health. We need to be so much more open about periods. And quite rightly, women are starting to talk about these things. But there's a kind of stigma about our reproductive health. You know, No one wants to talk about periods. And I think some of that is because we feel it makes us weak. We're trying to quite rightly be equal in in society with men. We have this thing every month that can affect us. It can affect our performance and it affect how we feel. And then the menopause is like, we've got, all the way to this point in our life and career and managed to, you know, I never, ever told anyone at work when I was on my period because I know as a broadcaster, when I have my period, it was a bit like the constant brain fog I have now. I could never remember words for things. I'd stumble over stuff and I didn't want anyone to know that it was because I was having my period. And I think then menopause comes and you've kind of battled through all that reproductive. You've held off telling your employer you're pregnant because you're worried how that will put your position at work, you know, all of this stuff. And then you get to menopause and it's like, oh, I don't want to tell anyone about this. It's just embarrassing. It makes me sound old. People are going to think I can't do my job. So I don't think it's the theories around menopause. I think it's just everything to do with women's health. We just need to be open about it and talk about it and make it normal. There are solutions to a lot of these problems. But if you don't talk about them to begin with, then no one's ever going to be offering the solutions and you're not going to be seeking them.
0: I think it's really important what you brought up there, and I think a lot of women feel it, is that once we start talking about our hormones and the impacts on us, we give an inch and people will take a mile, and that being used as a reason not to employ women, to gaslight their opinions because of their emotions, to denigrate women as they get older. Do you think talking about it helps, or do you think there could be a, a downside?
1: Oh, I think it can only help. I think we should always be open and honest about who we are. I think women have proved themselves to be amazing world leaders. I think we've got so much going for us, probably because of our hormones, probably because of our biological caring and the way we operate that's different. Interestingly enough, I had a guest on my podcast who is a transgender. So he was a woman and he became a man. And so he's had all the sides of the hormone coin. And he talked about the difference in testosterone and the difference in the sort of hormone roller coaster and how hard it is. But he also talks about how flat that can make you or angry. It does different things to you. And we don't talk about men's hormones hampering them. We might think about testosterone as potentially making you sort of aggressive or whatever but men also have hormones they may not be as rollercoastery as ours but they're affecting them they're affecting the way they behave and the decisions they make and how they operate so I think we should be talking about it but you're right it has the potential to be a thing that hampers us and another thing that hampers us. So Rachel I think you bring up an important
3: point there that different people experience the menopause differently and in fact I read that in different cultures There are different attitudes to people going through the menopause and also that the symptoms can differ. So Louise, I was wondering whether you see differences in your patients from different cultural backgrounds?
2: Yeah, it's very hard because there isn't good quality research because no one's interested in doing research in women's health, let alone the menopause. You know, there's been these theories that there isn't a word for menopause in Japanese, for example, but there is actually. And different women manifest in different ways. But I think it's not just culturally, actually. I think every woman is individual and we all have different symptoms and also different ways of manifesting our symptoms. So, for example, there is some cultures where people have more physical symptoms than psychological symptoms if they feel low in their mood. They might present with pains and actually it's physical pains they're experiencing but it's actually because they've got mental health problems. But I think a lot of this narrative is not just about symptoms actually, it's looking at the future health as well. So do we worry about talking about raised blood pressure? No, we don't. We just go and get sorted. Do we worry about talking about having a broken arm? No, we go and get it fixed. We don't make a big thing about it. And I think this is a problem, actually. We know that around 20% of women consider and actually give up their jobs because of the menopause. And also the fact that around 70-80% of women struggle with symptoms such as poor memory, anxiety, fatigue, which really has a very negative effect on the workplace. So this is affecting the economy but also it's affecting the health economy because one in three women will have an osteoporotic hip fracture which costs the NHS £3 billion a year. So let's look at those figures if we're not going to listen to women talking about their symptoms.
0: And in terms of Different cultures, how much do you think diet is important? For example, in cultures where they eat more tofu, which has an estrogen effect, do you think that has any bearing?
2: It's possibly. We know that diet can have an impact on symptoms. So, for example, processed foods might make symptoms worse. We know people that have hot, spicy foods or drink more alcohol can have more symptoms. But it's just about symptoms, not about health risks. It's very hard to eat enough phytoestrogens to really stimulate your oestrogen receptors enough. Um, So it might help a little bit, but not significantly.
0: Now just to finish up can both of you just tell us, I know this is hard, one thing you think people should do to prepare for the menopause?
2: So I think that every woman should download our free app, Balance, because we've designed it in a way that people can have individualised information, but also they can monitor their symptoms. So I would have loved to have downloaded it when I was 44 and been reminded every three months to fill out a medical symptom questionnaire. And then I would have realised that not only my periods had changed because I'd never monitored them before, but also that I was developing new symptoms And then from that, I could have downloaded the health report. I could have gone to my GP and said, look, these are my symptoms. I think I'm perimenopausal. I've also read how safe HRT is. Can you give me a prescription?
1: Yeah, well, I agree. The balance app is great. Um, But uh, I think... It is about reading up and just arming yourself with a bit of information, probably in your 40s. But I suppose drilling down to one of the more stigmatised or embarrassing symptoms, for me, my symptoms that really took me to my GP were vaginal. And I would say to women, you deserve to have a healthy, happy, comfortable vagina. You shouldn't know your vagina is there unless you're using it for something and don't take any kind of fob off for an answer because you go to your doctor and talk about your vagina and they send you away and you're not going to keep going back it's embarrassing you know so everyone deserves to have a lovely happy useful vagina that they can carry on having sex with and enjoying rachel new
0: dr louise newson thank you for joining
1: me oh you're
0: welcome it's a pleasure
2: thanks for inviting me it's been great thank you
0: Angela, as ever thank you very much thank you Hilary, and thank you for listening You can read more about Rachel's experience online as part of our Through My Eyes series. And find Yella's accompanying article to this podcast, that's all at medicalnewstoday.com. I'm Dr. Hilary Guite and this is a Hiviz Radio
2: production for Medical News Today.